Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, lucky to be sitting down with a radio legend today himself, Jim Lang. Jim, how's the day treating you? Good, James. Good. Thanks for asking. Uh, great. I'm very happy to have you on. Obviously, having you close to the uh, the action, the hub city of the Toronto Maple Leafs, I want to ask you right off the hop, how is the buzz around the city? How is it being received that all these players and teams will be coming to town? I, it, the buzz is huge, and the big part of it is because of what happened with COVID and everything being shut down in mid-March with potentially no end sight, potentially no sports the rest of the calendar year. So the fact that we were able to flatten the curve as well as we did in Canada and get down to numbers, I think the last week or so, James, Ontario's getting 110 to 120 a positive COVID test a day. And compared to American numbers, that's just that's nothing. So, and there's around 12 to 15 million people in Ontario alone, and we're getting 110 to 120 COVID cases. So from a safety standpoint, it, it, it is a safe play for the NHL to set up a hub city here. And in Edmonton, we have a pretty good knock on wood handle on everything going go uh, COVID-19 related. And there's a, a feeling of safety and for the players and then every, and the NHL organizing it. I mean, up until a, a week and a half before it was announced, Pretty much everyone thought Vegas was a lead pipe cinch to make it. Like, yep. There was no question it was Vegas and somebody else. And then the Nevada numbers got out of control. California numbers out of control. Arizona, all neighboring states, their numbers skyrocketed. And I think the NHL had no choice, but we can't risk our players' health there. Go to Edmonton, go to Toronto. I know in the exhibition sports complex they're going to have for the bubble – there's the big Hotel X there, which half the teams will stay at, the other half of the Royal York. But then they're actually in the actual complex itself. They have use of BMO Field or the Raptors practice facility. And so there will be things for them to do, but safety has to be paramount. And the fact that it's here, even though fans aren't allowed, I think people are mega excited to see daily reports, practice reports, coaches talking, players Seeing the schedule, the Leafs know that in the 28th they'll play the Habs in a preseason game, and then August 2nd against the Blue Jackets. It's just around the corner. Yeah, I got to ask the question for you. I mean, watching the Maple Leafs and, and hockey in general, do you think that's enough time? Do you think one preseason game and then jumping into what is known as the biggest pressure cooker in team sports, the Stanley Cup playoffs, do you think that's enough time to prep these guys and get them ready? Yeah, I do actually. I, I really do. I, I, by that point, I mean, they had played 70 games before they were shut down. And I can't imagine that they lose, they lost all their muscle memory in that time. Um, I talked to a couple players on teams not in the playoffs, and they all are, they actually are excited to watch because they feel because of the time off, the teams going into this postseason, James, will be as healthy as we've ever seen into a postseason in recent memory. Most times by the time teams get there, Somebody's hurt, or even if you're playing, you're hurting. But to have that time to rest your mind and body and heal up and get healthy and get strong again, it's 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 different. We've not seen this before. So most teams will be at full capacity, full health, and players that were maybe banged up won't be banged up anymore going into the start of the playoffs. So from a skill standpoint, it could be extremely exciting hockey. Well, it definitely will be exciting hockey. And, and like you said, the injury factor is no longer 
you know, prevalent for most teams. Obviously, for the Maple Leafs, Andreas Janssen won't be available. Maybe Steven Stamkos for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But I like the other thing that the NHL is doing, and I want to get your comments on this. The NHL is not disclosing injuries um, as it goes along throughout this thing. And some people are saying, well, that's not fair. I want to know if my guy is coming back his day-to-day. Is he week-to-week, month-to-month? What's going on? I like the fact because it doesn't allow teams to focus on them. I'm not saying teams are malicious in this fact, but it doesn't allow them to target a shoulder or you know throw that extra little weight behind a hit if a guy's laboring a bit. I like that factor. I'm wondering what you think about all that with the injuries not being disclosed. I'm, I'm used to it. I'm used to dealing with coaches, and I'm used to the league. Basically, it's upper body or lower body. That's it. I mean, that's the only thing you ever got. So I don't remember the last time someone really said, oh, it's his knee or his shoulder or, you know, I mean, if they go on concussion protocol, obviously it's a head injury. But for most teams, they'll just say upper body, lower body, and that's all they want to give you. So I don't think that's a factor at all. The biggest factor is being tested for COVID and safety and making sure that the players are healthy and tested on a regular basis and no one gets ill. Uh, We've seen problems in, in other sports where, you know, even in golf, the return of the PGA and, and the MLS soccer where athletes or caddies or whatnot have tested positive and then they had to say, I'm not performing or I'm not playing for this little bit. Now, that is the big X factor to me more than injuries, James. It's in after August when everything starts, what if someone gets COVID? What if key player gets COVID? Well, the, the series will go on. The play will go on. And that could be a real tipping point whether or not a team wins or loses and advances. So that's something to really watch for. Well, that's my biggest concern about all of this. I mean, you sit and you listen, and the question was kind of poo-pooed by Gary Bettman when Chris Johnson brought it up and asked, you know, what is the benchmark? What is the uh, the threshold for amount of players testing positive to eliminate a team? And one thing that I, I, I'm very excited, let's not throw water on the excitement that's going on here, because obviously hockey coming back, it's something positive, something excited about, you know, to get you pumped up. But my worry is we have these two weeks going into this, waiting to get to the bubble for these teams. Um, you know, what if a team has an outbreak that goes through and, say, 10, 11 players, you know, get COVID and they have to wait the you know the time to come back are they going to push things forward is that team going to be eliminated do they forfeit what happens there and that's my big wonder here and what if that happens during play do you just halt everything and wait for everybody to come back on board or or do you move forward those are the questions that I think a lot of people want to know just because everybody likes to be in the know James I'm not sure if anybody knows that I mean I think about all the coaches Yep. I mean, of all the things they usually stress about going into play, going into playoffs, that has to be in the back of their mind, not knowing game to game in a series who will be healthy because of COVID and the effect it could have on the rest of their team. And you raise a good point. How many COVID positive tests before, hey, wait a sec, this is not fair competition. This is not like a couple guys out. If there's this many, it's not a competitive team. And, but, and there, you talk about delaying things. There's not a lot of wiggle room for the NHL to delay things. Hmm. The thought is they would have everything wrapped up by August 2nd, by the seventh game of the Stanley Cup, and then December 1st start the next season. A compacted season is that. They're not yeah. giving themselves a great deal of leeway in case something like that happens. So as much as all the planning going into this, Gary Bippen and Bill Daly have to have their fingers crossed hard, praying that nothing like that happens because that's, what no one knows what will be the result of that. If you forfeit, 
Do you delay it? How far can you delay it? Do you delay the league? <laughs> I re- that's I don't know. I really don't know, and I have not heard anyone say what the, the plan B is if that happens. Yeah, and you know what? And I asked a question to Dennis Bernstein, um, you know, pro Rocky writer, association writer, and you know what he said to me is, "No one's focusing on the negative; everybody's focused on the positive." But you know, for me, I always want to know. Like, I'm in a person that likes to have, you know, all my ducks in a row to see what's going to happen. I'm sure the NHL does, and maybe they don't want to tip their hand because they don't want to have the numbers out there for people to look at and be like, "Well, hey, we're getting close to the number," you know, or start leaning on them a little bit when things start to go a little bit south. So. I think these two weeks getting into the bubble are the most important, and I really hope that teams are leaning on their players and saying, hey, stay home, use the amenities and the services we're providing for you, let's get to the bubble, let's get there safe and healthy, and make sure this thing goes off. But you raise a great point. Everything has to go off perfectly without a hitch, a glitch, no stitch in the giddy-up, because if there is, that's when things are going to falter. Well, and exactly. So then you have a scenario by late September, you're into the Stanley Cup final, and it stands to reason that teams could be banged up physically by then because of how tight all the games are being played and the nature of play and potential COVID tests. So it's, it's, this is uncharted territory. Now, GMs and coaches and league personnel obviously probably have a top-secret playbook from the league about what might happen COVID-related in some of the different scenarios. Of course, that's there would be a non-disclosure agreement. No one can say a word. But as, as coaches and GMs start preparing teams and say, okay, we are going to play Team X in this round, and this is what we got to watch out for, they're also thinking every day when they test people, talking to the trainers and medical staff, is everyone negative? Is, are we good to go? <laughs> that's that's going to be the first question every day arriving at the rink. Did everyone test negative? Do I have a full roster and complement of players to work with? Because as it goes deep, you, you, there's no way to to know that. There's no way to tell any coach or GM right now of the of the teams involved that at the start of this in early August they'll have the same amount of players healthy, you know, all things willing at the end, and then someone along the way won't test positive. There's no way yeah. to know that. No, there's definitely not. Um, I want to further the question here. Obviously, there's strict protocol in place when these guys get to the bubble. It's almost like a five-star jail. You know, they get to stay, but they don't get to go. And, you know, everything's brought in. Everything's there to entertain them, like you were saying about the BMO field, the Raptors plastic facility. There's going to be food trucks. You know, you can get everything you want brought in. Um, you know, obviously, it has to be vetted and cleaned. But I'm wondering for you... You listen to what the punishments could be, and that's not talking about what the government can punishment or you know the police, but you look at the teams possibly getting fined or draft picks, players being removed. Um, for you, do you think there's any type of warning for these guys? You look at the NBA and what they're doing and just having guys, well, you did it, but here, you know, take four days in quarantine, come back with four negative tests, and you can play. I think they need to be a lot more strict. And I don't care if it's a Maple Leaf player or a Montreal Canadian player or any player across the league that's in this tournament. I think if you're that irresponsible to leave the bubble and possibly bring that back in and have everybody test positive because of your actions, I don't think you should be allowed to continue in that tournament. James, as far as I know, once they're in that bubble, they'll probably have the law laid down before them and say, this is what it is. This is the punishment for the team and you if you leave the bubble. And I, I can't see them warning people. There's too much at stake here. Yep. Say, this is it. I mean, you don't have a second chance. you got one shot. Stay in the bubble. If your team gets knocked out, you leave the bubble, you go home. 
But the longer you play, the longer you're part of this, you're in the bubble. Because what we do know now going into it, no matter what happens in the Toronto bubble, if you make it to the conference final, you're going to Edmonton. Yep. Edmonton's hosting the conference finals in the cup <laughs> final. So then there's that concern as well for teams. So once you're in that bubble, you're in that bubble until you're knocked out. And, 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 and if you violate it, then you get in trouble and your team gets in trouble. Yeah, I, I think for, like I said, for me, because obviously there's going to be guys that try, and you know, no one's perfect, everybody has a reason for whatever they want, and that's fine, whatever it is, but I think, like I said, I think it's selfish if you try it, and I do think that whatever player it is should just be removed, because obviously you're not there for the right reasons, and you know, everybody's health, like you said, is paramount, and I can't see anybody just getting a warning, like I said, I think someone would be gone if they're in, in that position. I think you're John Tavares. I mean, he's a, he's a respected veteran leader on the Maple Leafs. He can assemble the guys beforehand, and, and he can be the voice reason. Go look, boys. We have Columbus the first round. Not easy, but we can win this. That would be the first playoff win for the Leafs in 04. Who yeah. knows what can happen? Who knows what can happen? I mean, it's it, if you stick together, follow the rules, and play the kind of hockey you're capable of, who knows what team is what. So this is not the time to wander and get get lazy and like, ah, oh, it's okay. And no, you, you, you keep winning, you keep playing. And if you win the Stanley Cup, who cares if you're in a bubble for a couple months? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you look at this and, and I've said it to everyone. This is the most leafiest way for them to win the, the Stanley Cup because then everybody can cast the asterisk on them that you won a tournament. <laughs> you didn't win the cup. So that's already built yeah. in. That's already there. Then it's also, well, you know, this year, there's going to be no fans, no parade. Oh, look, the Toronto Maple Leafs won, but nobody showed up. You know, So there's built-in jokes for other fan bases already that the Toronto Maple Leafs do pull this off. I, I'm excited. I, I, I like the matchup the Leafs have for the first round. I love it. I, I do. And um, to, to think that basically their team is healthy, um, as long as Freddie Anderson plays like he is capable of early on and gets in a groove early on, they can... Why not them? Yep. Like, why not them? Because there's going to be teams, If and it's almost like an Olympic hockey thing. If you get a hot goalie, you're going far. You are going to roll deep. So um, it's it's different. We've never had anything like this. No fans. Uh, the atmosphere is going to be different, but it's still hockey. And, we're, and we've seen with British soccer and the PGA and the MMA, you're, you're still watching it as a fan watching the competition, and you're almost like, hey, it's back. I'm okay with this. Yeah, well, I'm a diehard fan of the UFC, and I've long said the UFC has been the test balloon so far of how to do this. I mean, you look at them when they went down to Florida. They had those three fight cards in a row. They had the one fighter test positive. They removed them from the card. Everything else went forward. Nobody else tested positive. So they almost showed you how to make a little bubble, make it work, only allow certain people into it, and then when it was done, it was done. But they did it right, and I think those were the test balloons that were flown, and it allowed other leagues to see what they can do, and be able to get their foot in the water and get going. And, and James, this is this is the new normal now for sports, professional and amateur sports. We'll be testing people on a regular basis, and every once in a while, you won't know who it is. They're going to test positive, and yeah. then they're going to be pulled out. And until we get a vaccine that's foolproof and everyone around the world gets inoculated and we think we got a handle on it that's this is going this is the new normal now in sports and we had better get used to it at all levels that someone's going to test positive and they're going to announce so and so's positive they're not playing in this game or this week or whatever yeah well i think like the nhl said the uh, the ruling will be unfit to play 
and you can deduce yeah. from that what you will, whether it be well, an injury yeah. or whatever. But you, you kind of can figure if a guy was fine wheeling around the ice and all of a sudden he's unfit to play, you can put two to two together pretty quick. Absolutely. I mean, it's not going to be a big secret if someone's logging 19 minutes of hard hockey and the next day they're unfit to play. Well, I wonder why. That's, it's, you know, that's, but that's the big problem for everybody. Yep. Even the players, it has to be in the back of their mind. They'll be being tested every day. And they don't know. Yeah. They could be following all the rules and could be something and tested every day. And they're like, no, you're positive, can't play. Well, I mean, and not to out him again, but you look at Austin Matthews, um, you know, shout out to Steve Simmons for, you know, putting that out there for everybody, unfortunately. But, you know, he didn't know. He said that he was asymptomatic. He felt a little run down, but that was about it. And, I mean, he was out rollerblading, what, two days afterwards, all kinds of fun pictures. So, I mean, he didn't really know that he had it. And then that's going to happen to a lot of guys. The asymptomatic factor of this is is huge. Well, and James, think about all the athletes in all levels of pro sports who live in the hotbed states now. Yep. The hotbed states are California, Arizona, Nevada, Florida, places like that. Most athletes have off-season homes there. Yep. And and that's the that's the epicenter for COVID in America. That that's a big issue as well for teams is convincing players to get out of there, get out of their the places they like to live and say, can you go somewhere else where it's safer? Like Northern Ontario, maybe, maybe Yarmouth. <laughs> yeah, get out here to Nova Scotia. We're pretty good. Yeah, I can set up to PEI or something. <laughs> Put them on an island. That's, well, that's what a lot yeah. of people said about the whole NHL. Just send them to Newfoundland. Ain't nothing getting over there. No, no, no. But, but that, I mean, everyone sort of laughed at Dana White for Fight Island. And everyone's like, oh, hey, that's a pretty good idea. It worked. You know, it worked. The NBA's big problem with the NBA bubble in Orlando. Florida is such a problem. That problem with COVID nineteen. Yep. There has to be real worry for Adam Silver and the NBA. What happens if all of a sudden big names like LeBron and and other big superstars get start testing positive? Then what? Well, then you lose your star draws, and then you start seeing teams like you said. Is it an unfair advantage? When, when does it get too much? When is it? Where's the threshold for a team to losing players where it's now unfair for them to play another team? I and that's I'm not sure who determines that and how you decide that, but that's going to be yelled from the rooftops if a couple guys go down with COVID and they're playing. Well, the other coach will go, "Oh, looks no different if they had a knee injury." So, and then you still got to play. It's, it's no different in the playoffs. If you got a couple of guys injured, no matter who it is, you have to call up guys from the A and field the lineup. Yeah. Um, this is this is the great unknown. This is why it's so unpredictable. This playoffs coming up, both the NBA and the NHL, because because of the, the specter of COVID hanging over them, no one knows what's going to happen from day to day. Well, let's swing it back to actually on the ice stuff for just a moment and steer away a little bit from the COVID. So the Toronto Maple Leafs obviously taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets, a grind it, you know, get in your face, make you quick kind of team, coached by John Tortorella, who's up for coach of the year. And they're going against the Maple Leafs. Obviously, we know who they are. They could score at will if they're on. And I think this this playoff series right here, this little play-in, is going to be determined on the power play. I think the refs will be calling it pretty even. And I think you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and what they can do, and if they sprinkle in a guy who's got the offensive talent, like a Nick Robertson, I could see their first unit and second unit being really deadly and being the reason why the Toronto Maple Leafs win. And to further that point, you have two goaltenders on the Columbus Blue Jackets who haven't carried the water for a very long time in Merzlikens and Jonas, um, why can't I ever remember his name, um, Corpusalo. 
those two okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. those two goaltenders right there haven't really had a bevy of NHL experience, let alone playoff experience. So, and then you throw in the fact that it's a COVID tournament. You haven't played in four months. You're in an unfamiliar rink. You're being shuttled around in a bus, and you're stuck in a hotel with your teammates for a long period of time. You throw that all into two young guys, and we know with goaltenders, the mental aspect between the years is huge. So who knows well, if it rallies I just like guys. the fact. I just like the fact at least the firepower they have in a short series. Yep. I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois would be fifth in the Leafs in scoring. And so the Leafs' firepower on those top two units, their top offensive players are so far and above anything Columbus has to offer. Yeah. If they're anywhere near capacity on that power play, as you mentioned, that should be the, the difference in the series right there. Well, they can they can basically pull a Boston Bruins, what they've done to us the past couple of years, in running that power play through us with passing on the one-timer. We can do that to Columbus with Austin Matthews, obviously Willie Nylander, JT, Mitch Marner, you name it. The weapons we have at our disposal are absolutely, uh, to put it easily, disgusting. No, and that's and that's the, the the key for Sheldon Keith. Get two balanced power play units. Don't take stupid penalties. Don't give them a chance to give them any momentum or confidence. Get at their goalies. Throw a ton of shots at them. And you know, especially you get a lead on goalies like that, and give Anderson a lead to to work with. To me, with the fire the, the firepower the Leafs have to work with, and the health of the team, they they should win this series. Yeah. Well, you're looking, like you said, going into a playoffs for once. We know Morgan Riley's been bumped up all year. Jake Muzzin's been bumped up all year. Cody Ceci's had his things, you know, and people say for whatever reason that he's not the greatest defenseman. Well, guess what? Shot suppression numbers when he's on the ice are a lot better than when he's not. So you look at this whole defense core. They're 100% healthy. They're rested. And there's the other thing for Freddie. Every time he's gone into the playoffs... He has not been rested. He's come off a long, hard season where he's got the Leafs and drugged them sometimes right to the playoffs. So now he's rested too. So I'm excited. No, I think the Leafs should be um, cautiously optimistic. They don't want to be too public with their optimism. But really, I mean, if you're inside the dress room, so boys, there's no excuse here. I mean, we've never had the luxury of being so healthy and our goalie so rested going into a short series. Yep. And it's like, let's just take care of business, play their style of hockey, and that should be more than enough. Like, yeah, John Tolarella is a good coach, and, you know, uh, Seth Jones and the likes on the back end of Columbus, yeah, they could be tight defensively, but the power play is going to be the difference maker, and at least there's no excuse for the kind of firepower they have and the kind of offense they can throw at you. No, and I think it comes down to, like I said, it's going to be the power play. It's going to be the least speed that gets them on the power play because with a team like Columbus, they like to grind you. But if they can't hit you, then they're going to try to grab you and, or use the stick work to get you in closer. And that's where the penalties will come. And that's where the opportunities for the Toronto Maple Leafs will start to spring up. I'm pretty excited about this. I got to ask you the question, though. You look at the uh, everything that's going on with the return to play and the CBA and everything that's going in. How do you feel about how the NHL has handled getting back to the ice? And how do you think about the labor piece? There's been no strike this time, no talk. Everything was smooth. It's got to be a win-win for everyone. I, I think the labor piece to start with, James, is the biggest thing. The fact that it's 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 like been locked down, that's it. Don't talk about it. We are back in the Olympics. And that means all the young stars like Connor McDavid around the league who have been dying to get into the Olympics and Austin Matthews will be going to the Olympics for their respective countries. And you start thinking about Pasternak and Panarin and some of the young stars around the world. Like, oh, my goodness. The Olympics are going to be amazing. And so you have that to look forward to. You don't it, – it, Look, to be a hockey fan and not hear CBA brought up 
all over and over again because they're talking about it. You won't hear about it for five years. This is great. So for the next four or five years, it's just hockey and trades and signings the way it should be. So from the league standpoint, that was a brilliant move to get that lockdown out of the way and put it in the back burner and concentrate on selling the league. And that's the, But that's the big challenge. And I know Bob McKenzie and others have written about it, and Pierre Lebrun and Chris Johnson, that because of everything that's happened, the, the cap is flat for the next couple of years, which creates a challenge for teams around the league who are tied to the cap because it's been going up a little bit every year, so you had room. There's no room the next couple of years. So that's going to be very interesting how teams handle their cap, knowing that it's basically going to be what it is is what it is for at least a couple more years. No, and you know what? Having the labor piece is huge. You, you think about it all the times that it was coming up, the CBA, and the thoughts that would go through your mind of not having hockey again and having to listen to all the you know escrow talk and this and this hill this player is going to die on and this and that. And the biggest part for me was the spread on the vote. It was 79 point something, I think 79.7% oh, yes. So it wasn't just like the NFL where it got by by a couple percentage points. This yeah. was huge. It was majority ruled on this one by a huge amount. And that's good to see because that means, you know, not everybody was happy. And in a negotiation, when you walk away from it, if both sides leave a little unhappy, then you've done it right because you've both gotten things that you've wanted and you both lost out on things that you wanted as well. So everybody leaves in the same foot. I, but as far as, real quick, as far as how the NHL's handled it, I think they've handled it as best as they can because there is no playbook for this. Nope. No league, no commissioner has any reference to work with for this kind of thing. It's never happened before. I did think the draft lottery was a little strange that we still don't know who's going to get Alexis Lafreniere. Um, but I guess sometimes that's the NHL, right, James? That's, that's, sometimes the league does things like that. Well, you know what? The NHL entry draft, though, with, with the pick being a play-in team, could you draw it up any better? I know a lot of people say, oh, it was made that way. They rigged it that way. You know what? I don't think they did. I think it was just the way it felt. No. But this is perfect because you know why? Now it adds intrigue. No, Now that first round is going to be big for the team that ends up going out. Do they have a chance of laughing here? There's eight teams that will have a shot at it. Here we go. Now you'll be talking about the NHL entry draft all the way until it happens because now you have that ability to talk. Could you imagine if it's Montreal? And they get a kid like that. You know, I mean, that's you know what I. I don't. I'm obviously I'm a Maple Leafs fan, so it's in me not to like the Montreal Canadiens. But how could you not root for that story? I'm starting to really, oh. really start to root for the stories within the sport, not just the team. And that is a story right there that you would want to see written. Oh, absolutely! He's a true blue Quebecois native. Played all his hockey. In Quebec, from minor all the way up to junior, <laughs> it would be, it would be perfect. And as far as reviving, a Montreal needs reviving, but keeping hockey solid in Montreal and Quebec, and keeping the revenue flowing in for the league and itself, it would be fascinating to see if it happens. Well, this is uh, this is me throwing the cold water on it. For whatever reason, I got this feeling that Montreal is going to beat Pittsburgh, and you're going to see Mr. Lafreniere playing with the Pittsburgh Penguins and be the, oh, no, and no, be the next generation no. to come in behind Sidney Crosby. And on the power play, you'll hear Crosby to Malkin to Lafreniere, and that'll be for the next few years. And then, of course, Lafreniere will take over that team after Crosby goes out. But for whatever reason, I got that feeling that the Montreal Canadiens are going to ride Carey Price as a hot goaltender, like you said, and I think they're going to move on, and I think it's going to be the Pittsburgh Penguins getting that first overall pick. 
if they do, there'll be GMs around the lake pulling hair out in chunks. The thought of the Penguins getting Lafreniere. <laughs> Just imagine that would this. Be That's another story too. That well, that is. But like I said, it would be the next because you look at the the Pittsburgh Penguins. You look at the way they've been. It's been Yager Lemieux, and then you go over to Crosby and Malkin. And then now you have Lafreniere and whoever his, you know, right hand guy is going to be. It's just the generations that go through the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we're getting to that point with Crosby and Malkin where they need that next one to come in. And why not Lafreniere? Again, that's I mean that's why after this the first few weeks of the playoffs and things start to settle, shake down and settle down, and people realize, oh, oh, I think they're going to get Lafreniere. I think that's so. There's lots of things in play here. That I think that's for the NHL as much as people said, hey, what's going on with this draft lottery? It's going to be to the benefit in the early, early mid-August. No, and you know what? Like I said, it gives everybody something to talk about. Everybody wants to know, and it, it was sad for him. You know, obviously being born and raised, the draft was going to be in Montreal. You know, he kind of got robbed of that fact of going up on the stage, you know, right in front of everybody from home and, you know, selecting, being selected by whoever it was. But, you know... Now I really want to see who it is. Is it going to be Montreal? Is it going to be Pittsburgh? Like I said, a lot of people are like, oh, you know what? What if he goes to the Maple Leafs? You know, GMs and teams around the league would be freaking out because just imagine that added to the already potent offense of the Maple Leafs. You know, a cheap, you know, entry level deal with super talent. It's it's all we need, right? <laughs> I think the Leafs Nation would welcome him with open arms. Oh, we certainly would. <laughs> it, it, the question then would be because this is the way the Leafs media works and Leafs fans in general we'd get them and then it'd be who are we shipping out the door because we're not going to be able to afford them in three years so we'd, we'd be excited yeah, well, for five seconds that, James it does, I don't care what city in the NHL you're in right now that's because of the cap and how flat it is and the financial constraints for a lot of teams in the NHL that there's going to be a lot of movement like that in the next few years because teams have no choice but to move players to stay under the, the ceiling, to stay under the cap. Yeah. You know, well, there's going to be a lot of players you thought would are untouchables that are going to end up yes. on teams. But how lucky is this? You look at the Vegas Golden Knights when they came in the league and the bounty they got from other teams to take players and the picks and the extra things they got to build that squad to what it is. What better position for a team to come in the league than Seattle? Because they're going to be coming oh, in the league yeah. with all kinds of teams needing to shed salary for the next few years, and they're going to be paying them to do it. Here's a draft pick. Here's a prospect. Here's a player. Yeah, yeah. Here's money. Here's whatever you need. And Seattle's just going to be sitting there reaping the rewards, just like Vegas did. But I think Seattle can come out a little bit better than Vegas because they're going to have well, that cap room. And Ron Francis is no dum-dum. He's, he's, he knows what's going on around the league, and especially with the cap situation. So he... He's he's probably going to be pretty shrewd about the deals he makes and go look hey you're in a position I'll take this player but I want this and this yep now well you look at one deal that always sticks out to me is the Vegas Golden Knights got their franchise goaltender Mark Andre Fleury plus a second round pick to take him so they leave the other goalies I, alone I, can you see that's the kind of thing Ron Francis is going to go I'm going to do this is that what Vegas got well that's what I want so again it's it makes for some interesting times in the National Hockey League, and as far as staying relevant, staying in the news, and keeping hockey fans, you know, their appetite whetted, and keeping them satisfied with all the, the stories around the league. Once the Stanley Cup is over yep. in late September, early October, there's many, many stories through October, November before the season starts up again in December to keep them occupied. So that's that's kind of a good thing. 
No, it is definitely a good thing. Well, I want to ask you, before we wrap, I want to talk about your book for just a moment, but I want to ask yeah. you, the playoffs, who do you have? Who's your winner? Who's taking it? I know the homer bias is for the Maple Leafs, but in your heart of hearts, who do you think else might be able to take that throne, this, uh, this weird playoffs? Yeah, you know, can Jordan Bennington get hot again for the St. Louis Blues? Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, so there you go. Can Edmonton, can they crank it up and go deep? I, I, I just, I can't right now, to be honest with you, I'm not trying to cop out, James. Because the teams have been off so long, because of the nature of the tournament, because of the wild card nature of everything, I can't sit here today and think, I think these are the two teams in the cup final. Yeah, you, you got to see, see them going. You know, but the team I don't see going all the way, and for whatever reason, I got an inkling they might be out quick. Is the Boston Bruins? I just think there's so much. Really, I think there's so much fanfare being thrown at their feet, and that's not me being be bitter over a Maple Leaf fan. I just think there's so much thing being thrown at their feet about them not being able to keep their top seed, about how good they've done all season, about how crazy Pasta is and Bergeron and Marchand. I think there's just so much there that when it comes time to hit the ground running. I don't think they're going to be one of those teams. For whatever reason, I just don't feel it. I feel Philly will well, be that team to watch. And think about the series. Two coach of the years going, uh, candidates going against each other in Vignon Cassidy. And yep. Philadelphia is probably one of maybe the last 30 games the hottest team in the NHL. I see them as a team Colorado that's a and, Yeah, and then Colorado and Nathan McKinnon going up against St. Louis. That's going to be very tough for Craig Berube and the Blues to handle McKinnon and the Avalanche. And Kel, you know, Kel Macker. Or Kale McCarr. I, I just I start looking at some of these matchups, like St. Louis against Colorado. That's tough. Philadelphia and Boston. Ooh, that's a tough one. And that's why I think you need to wait a few games in to think how these things are going to shake out a little bit before you can start making too many predictions. Because there's a lot of series that you're like, oh, I don't know about that one. I, I even think, you know, what about Winnipeg and Calgary? That's going to be a great series. Oh, it's going to be absolutely awesome. Can Hellebuck raise his level? Or are you going to be going with Riddick or Smith? There's so many storylines in that that series right there that, you know, and then you look at the Chuck. Is he going to elevate his game for Calgary? Uh, what's Line A going to do? There's so many different things, right? And so many ins and outs that you sit there and you just salivate as a fan because there's so much hockey. And the fact that over nine days you get to watch 52 games for the play-in and the, uh, the seeding round, that's insanity. So for the first five or six days, I would tell any hockey fan, See who's got the hot goalie. If it looks like a team's got a hot hand, a hot goalie, and are going to make short order of the team they're facing in the opening round of games here, I'd start leaning heavy in them to go deep. Because it's if all of a sudden the team realizes we got a hot goalie and we're in this thing and we're healthy, they're going to have that mental attitude. Why not us? We can do this. So that's why these these games, as soon as they jump over the boards, it's it's on. I mean, it's going to be incredible to watch. No, I can't wait for it to get started. Obviously, everybody's getting excited, but something else somebody and everybody's getting excited about is Everyday Hockey Heroes by Bob McKenzie and uh, Mr. Jim Lang. Uh, I want to talk to you about that for just a moment here. What went into that story? How did that all come about? Well, we had written the first volume of it a couple years ago, and then Simon & Schuster approached Bob and I to do a volume two, uh, like a next version of it, sort of a sequel to it, and we got excited and We've been working on it since, I guess, last mid-September of last year, and we're very excited about it. It comes out October 27th, about stores near you and online, and there's a lot of amazing stories with people from coast to coast and some people in America as well, and we're very proud of it. James, we're very excited about it. 
No, I can't wait to, to to read it, obviously, and get it out there. So you say that's available in October, is it? Yeah, you can order. You can pre-order now on Amazon or Indigo or places like that or um, your Kobo. You can pre-order, but October 27th, it's uh, open to the public. Well, I 100% cannot wait to get my hands on that and obviously talk to you throughout the playoffs about everything that's going on. Um, where can people find you? Where can people listen to you? Obviously, uh, you know, I'm out on the East Coast, but people want to hear you. You can listen to me on my radio station, uh, 105.9 The Region. Our website's 1059theregion.com, or they can follow me on Twitter at Jim Lang Sports. Well, Jim, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. You're always so generous with it. Thanks so much for stopping by Offside. Okay, James. Nova Scotia. Yes. Yes.